Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Solos podcast. Today we have none other than Dana Milbank. How you feeling today? I'm very well, Bakari. How are you? Man, I ain't got no complaints, at least none you really want to hear about. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we start my show, uh, each show decently unique because we ask our, our guests to uh, walk us through the arc of their career. And so my question is, how did you get involved in covering national politics in after the last four, six years, what keeps you going? Yeah, I was, was going to say, it's what I always wanted to do. And then it's a case of being careful what you wish for, <laughs> because uh, uh, things have changed a bit. But, uh, you know, I was always interested in uh, politics just as a consumer. Uh, and I was always interested in writing and storytelling. Uh, and then, you know, I just it, it just I came to realize uh, uh, in college, uh, I got some internships and I realized people would pay me, uh, to, to write in journalism. Now, admittedly, they don't pay you that much, but still you, you can make, you can make a living. Like, at pay it. is pay is, uh, that's a, you know, they pay you, they, that's they, pay, fact. Me. That's they fact. pay me, they pay me to do what I like. Um, and so I made my way. I started out at the Wall Street Journal. I was covering machine tools and aluminum and steel and tires, uh, worked my way up, uh, eventually uh, got to, to cover Congress and then uh, jumped to a, a magazine, The New Republic, and then to uh, The Washington Post, where I've been for the last 23 years now, oh uh, covering politics um, in some form or another. And it certainly has changed. I thought when I first started covering politics that something was wrong and now i realize those were the good old days so before we get to your new book i gotta ask you a few questions what does 51 votes in the senate mean for democrats well probably the same thing as 50 votes um uh, uh you know <laughs> thank you for your, for your very sober realization there right i mean they have you know they have the majority as they have had uh i don't see any push now to abolish the filibuster because they don't have the house anyway uh so it really would be of no use to them to do that uh at this point so that so that dynamic has changed but it, it makes you know just the the fact of the majority makes all the difference in the world in terms of uh confirming judges um and, and committee and, assignments i mean you don't have to do the whole split committee thing and sheer power right right that's true there uh, and the uh uh you know there'll be uh investigations you know eight different investigations probably of hunter biden in the house uh so at least we won't have that uh headache to uh deal with as as journalists on the uh uh, on the Senate side. But yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I expect in general, you won't see a whole lot of productivity because you've got the Republican House and because, you know, it, it, the Senate will be the Senate and you're going to still need 60 votes to do anything of substance. So uh, 51, 50, probably anywhere up to about 59, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to help you too much. So again, and this is this piggybacks on that. My last kind of rapid fire, well, second to last rapid fire question: With a split Congress, what should the Biden administration's focus be the next two years? Well, it should be what Biden uh, it, uh, does very well, and that is see where there are opportunities uh, uh, for deals to be had. You know, we're we're getting uh, a marriage equality bill. You know, who'd have thunk it? Uh, who do you get? Eleven, twelve, something like that. Uh, uh, Republicans on board for that. More things like the infrastructure package. You're certainly not going to see any uh, uh, any of the sort of uh, uh, dream list of what uh, progressives want to want to see. But uh, um, that's never been know, who I he was, though. That. Really, I mean, yeah. he's never really been that either. But he has had some bipartisan successes. 
Right. And when you when you had when you had the House uh, pushing through whatever you wanted, whatever they wanted on their agenda, it pushed things in a more progressive agenda. So you won't have that impetus now. Last kind of rapid fire question for you. I think Biden is leading towards running for reelection. But what say you? You know, I have seen no indication that he isn't. Uh, his his aides have always said that they expect him to. So assuming his health continues uh, uh, to uh, be well, then I, I have no expectation that he won't. But then again, I ate my column. In Can you imagine having an 86-year-old president? I cannot imagine having an 86-year-old president. The only thing worse would maybe be having an 82-year-old Donald Trump as president. So let's talk about your book. That's a natural segue. <laughs> okay. uh, the Deconstructionist. What is the book about and why did you write it? Well, it's basically uh, it's it's looking at our moment uh, in time, uh, the Trump era, which we're very much still in. You know, we're in the in oh, the Trumpism is a thing. Trumpism is a real thing. Exactly. And the, the theme of my book really is that Trump didn't create this. Uh, he uh, he exploited what had previously existed in the Republican Party. And it also means that if and when he goes away, uh, it's not going away either. So and I think that's very important to make the distinction between Trump and Trumpism. So I traced it back, uh, the origins of this to the Republican Revolution of uh, 1994, the uh, Gingrich uh, Revolution, uh, you know, in various ways uh, that changed our politics fundamentally. You look at the, the, the all-out war warfare and the bitterness, treating your opponent as an enemy, as disloyal to the state. Uh, that began with Newt Gingrich. Uh, the disinformation, the constant use at high levels of disinformation as a political weapon, uh, that became very important under Newt Gingrich. Uh, you know, white nationalism has always been with us, uh, but that was a, a key moment when Gingrich took over. It was when the the old uh, uh, segregationist uh, uh, Democrats had basically disappeared and the party had realigned along uh, racial lines or you know, your views on racial matters. So really uh, uh, that, that began that began a more, uh, I would say, uh, full-throated uh, link with white nationalism and the Republican Party, and happy to go into that uh, a bit more. Uh, and also the dysfunction, you know, uh, before that era, we didn't have things like shutdowns and, you know, constant threats of debt default and, you know, the omnibus spending bills and continuing resolutions because we couldn't get anything uh, through Congress. So that was also a feature of that era. And we basically had various iterations since then, you know, during the Iraq War and Karl Rove, uh, Sarah Palin and the, uh, the Tea Party and uh, the birther movement, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the lies about Obamacare. Uh, and then, you know, then you get into uh, the beginning of the Trump era. But Trump wouldn't have happened without all of this. I covered him back when he was thinking of running for president as a Reform Party candidate in 1999. Uh, he was he was pro-choice. He wanted universal health care. He was giving money to Democrats. He took us around on his 727 with Roger Stone. Uh, he, he took us out to the Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles to so, show that he was for uh, tolerance uh, and uh, in racial harmony and that uh, Pat Buchanan uh, was the racist. So which, the last part of that was fairly true. <laughs> but now Trump has become you know, the, the modern day Pat Buchanan with a lot more power. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 
miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. If you had to surise just briefly, what's a deconstructionist? In a close up, what, what is it? Destructionist. But oh, I, it's, it's, it's destructionist. Sorry. It's, uh, it's uh, well, no, I mean they have deconstructed our politics too. So it's, I mean, I could call them the destroyers, but it's more that they are they are devoted to destruction, destructionists uh, in that way. The whole idea is to break the system, and that was what Gingrich really pioneered. He figured out if you can just cause uh, bad things to happen. Uh, voters are going to blame the incumbent president, uh, which is true to some extent, and that's why you had a you know a an election like uh, uh, 1994. Same thing happened uh, with Mitch McConnell, you know, in 2010, saying the most important thing is making Obama a one-term president to so keep up building this inventory of losses. Uh, so that's you know then you then you see the the losses of 2010, but there's a side effect to this too, and that is. People lose faith in the entire system. They lose faith in their democracy. Uh, so you're a destructionist means you're devoted. Uh, it is your policy uh, to destroy. Uh, and it's, it's very much a deliberate policy benefiting from the cynicism that people have come to uh, disapprove of the institutions of government. And if you look at it across the board, um, the courts, the Supreme Court, the White House, Congress, the media, business, church, uh, you know, uh, 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 the, the police, everything, we've seen a loss of confidence in over the last generation. So let me ask you this, circling back to Georgia, I feel like it tells a mixed story on this theory of the destructionists. On the one hand, you have Brian Kemp, who has mm -hmm. shunned Trump and is very much an establishment Republican, winning resoundingly both in the primary and general. You also have Herschel Walker, who is, I'm run out of words to describe Herschel Walker <laughs> other than to say he's Herschel Walker. Like it's his own brand of candidate here. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you look at this, what is the narrative that comes out of Georgia after watching both Kemp and Walker? It's a pretty good laboratory, right? You've got your control experiment when he's running with Kemp and you've got it when he's not running with Kemp. And I think that's telling you that the voters uh, uh, have had at least a significant number of them are really pushing back against MAGA Republicanism, pushing back uh, against Trumpism. Uh, so that could be uh, it. And, you know, we've seen other indications of this. Excuse me. In uh, with the defeat of many of the election deniers uh, in the Secretary of State races, uh, with some of the gubernatorial candidates in Arizona and Pennsylvania, really closely tied to Trump, uh, election deniers, MAGA Republicans have really been rejected. So, I mean, this is always the way uh, that Trumpism would be defeated. It would be uh, defeated at the polls. Uh, and it, it means that it doesn't mean all Republicans, it doesn't even mean most Republicans, but there's enough of them uh, 
um, uh, in the middle or the, the center right who are saying, you know what, that's not me. All this vulgar stuff, all this, you know, sitting down and uh, having meals with uh, anti-Semites and white supremacists. Uh, you know, I didn't sign on for this. I wanted I wanted lower taxes. I wanted conservative judges. This has gone too far. Now, can it, Dana, can thinking, it be fixed? Can it be fixed? And what well, does it look like? It, it probably could have been fixed had this pushback come uh, a good bit earlier. The problem is Trump may not be in control of the party anymore, but he still has the ability uh, to, to uh, you know, throw sand in the gears. He can really make a mess of things. You know, I was just, just this week, uh, if you look, looked at the House, uh, there was this important bill on averting a rail strike. A rail strike would be catastrophic. $2 billion a day in damage. And even Republicans were getting up there on the floor of the House and saying it. We can't have this. But when you had the vote, one third of the Republicans in the House said, right, we got to end this, prevent this strike, got to approve this deal. Two thirds of the Republicans in the House said, nope, we would rather uh, throw the country into economic calamity uh, than, than do anything that might look like we're compromising with Democrats or uh, with, with Joe Biden. So one third, I think, and I think that's a good proportion, one third of the Republican Party is sensible. You know, uh, progressives may disagree with them, uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to play by the rules. As they're a not- former South Carolina legislator, I can tell you that it used to be more than one third, but I agree with your sense. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, we can we can figure out maybe is it 25 percent? Is it 40 percent? But there's something in there that that they were never thoroughly on board with Trumpism. They're rejecting it more formally now. The problem is if you've got two thirds, give or take of a major uh, uh, political party in the United States of America, uh, they, 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 it, it's still in control, uh, under the control of that. And, you know, and as I said earlier, even if Trump disappears, the disinformation doesn't appear, uh, disappear because we've, that, that's, that's baked into the cake. That's part of our system. Uh, the constant demonizing of political opponents, uh, doesn't disappear. And I think most importantly, uh, the white nationalism doesn't disappear because that's a much bigger trend. That's uh, even going back to earlier than I started in the book, it goes back to the uh, Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, uh, the immigration uh, laws of the 1960s. Uh, and that's what set about this realignment of our politics and the, uh, the Republican Party became over time the party of white people or people who are not comfortable with a multicultural America. Now, America is becoming uh, what you know what they call majority minority white people will no longer be the majority in this country after you know another 20 25 years give or take that's the backlash that trump uh and maga republicans have been stoking uh mm. that's what that's what great mm. replacement theory is it's like they're deliberately so, pushing but, us but out i was about to go to the go there so i mean look you're in journalism i dare not say that the Fox News echo chamber is journalism. I don't want to conflate, conflate you with them, but what role does having the New York Post or Tucker Carlson every night, what role does that play in making your job just that much more difficult in finding the truth? Uh, well, I mean, there are many things uh, that make it difficult, and there has been something of a concerted war uh, on the press calling us the enemy of the people. You know, that's Joseph Stalin right there, what, uh, what's being used there. And I think it's been profoundly effective. Uh, it goes back again uh, uh, to Newt Gingrich and has been going on uh, for years now. The, the, the problem we're in now, the conundrum is 
I, writing for the Washington Post or anybody at CNN or the, the New York Times, really has no ability to reach the Trump voter, to persuade the MAGA Republican of anything. The, uh, the mainstream media has been so discredited uh, in the, by Trump, by Republicans, uh, they have been trained to rely on Fox News, on Breitbart, on the New York Post, on the, you know, the, the Murdoch empire uh, generally. And social media makes this so much easier because you're just you filter out and you're fed news that confirms your not only your point of view but the distorted facts. So uh, it you know we can fact check until we're blue in the face, and um, it's not going to do any good because the other people aren't seeing that. And to the extent they do see it, there's like there it's only confirmation that we're out to get them. Um, so that's the damage that's been done to the media. So you know for the reality-based community in America, which is still a majority of America. Uh, you know, the press has a very important role to play, uh, but but there's a there's a significant chunk of the country that's just lost to us. They don't uh, they don't read us. And to the extent they 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 listen or watch us, you're the enemy. Uh, it's the enemy. And the fact that we're saying it must mean it's not true. Two two final questions for you. One is the most important question that I have to ask you. But before I get to the most important question, what does the 2024 Republican presidential primary feel tell us about? this theory that you posit the de destructionist when we have multiple Republicans lined up to challenge Trump, but they're not going to they appear, uh, apparently um, attack him full frontal. Right. And, and that's why we got Trump in the first place in 2016. You had this whole slate of candidates uh, and they because he only they, needs a, he only needs 20 percent with the field that's forming now. Exactly. Uh, and had they had Republicans been able to amass behind one alternative, like Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, heck, even Ted Cruz, uh, there could have been a, it could have been Trump or the alternative. And there never was that. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now uh, confirms that Trumpism uh, is with us regardless of what happens to Trump, because if it's not Trump, it's looking like it's somebody like Ron DeSantis, who is doing everything that Trump is doing in terms of disinformation, uh, uh, white nationalism, uh, you know, the, the constant culture wars and division uh, in our politics. There are potential candidates out there who don't do it. There's Asa Hutchinson, there's Larry Hogan, there's Liz Cheney, but but they're really pariahs. Uh, no, they're the, one. I call them one percenters. Yeah. I mean, I Asa just, Hutchinson. I mean, um, yeah. what's my guy who Mike Rogers? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What's the smart? He, I thought he was smart with the ran the CIA. Mike Pompeo. Mm -hmm. They're all they're all one percenters. None of them are getting more than one percent. I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think Pompeo may be even, you know, trying to do things in the Trump mold. So, uh, I mean, I, I think I think what we're seeing at least so far confirms that Trump may be on the way out. I'm not going to predict that because we've done that before. Um, but Trumpism is showing no signs uh, of petering out. And that's what we got to keep our eye on, because the problem wasn't him. He just exploited yeah. the problem. Most important question I have for you of the entire show is. When's the book out? How can people buy it? Where can they go get it from? Uh, it's out. Uh, uh, it's been out for uh, a couple of months now. Uh, it's it's there on Amazon. Uh, it's in your local bookshop. Uh, and uh, um, I hope you enjoyed it. It's a good read. I, I spent a, a long weekend actually reading it. So if you want the audio. You actually, you've actually read your book? I read the whole thing. I got really hoarse. And, uh, oh, no, you mean you read it for the audio book? 
Yeah, I read it for the audio. Oh, yeah, and I read the audiobook too. And I, you know, what's crazy? I forgot how to read while I was doing it. Most, <laughs> you know, because a lot of times the words that you write, you never, you never, you never say them out loud. Right, right. And so when I when I wrote my book, I was like, shit. I, and you were stumbling through, and by the third day, my voice was hurting and right, right. It was terrible. It was terrible. Right, right. Well, it's thank tough. you for joining the Bukhari Sellers Podcast. Great book. You are a brilliant, brilliant writer, and I appreciate reading you often. Well, bless you, Bakari. Thank you so much and keep fighting the good fight.